Good morning, everyone. It's great to be home. We've just spent two weeks in the Philippines having great adventures and dealing with significant colds. And now we're dealing with jet lag. And hun, if I fall over, the notes are here and you can take over. In the story of Forrest Gump, one day Forrest goes to visit his friend Jenny. And there she is in front of the old house where she has grown up. Her abusive father has just died. And all the horrible memories just wash over her to the point that all she can do is pick up every rock in sight and throw it at the old house. Finally, when she has thrown every rock she can find at the house, she falls on the ground in a befuddled heap, exhausted, crying hysterically. And Forrest Gump says, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. That's life, isn't it? Our lives are filled with so many memories and so often there just aren't enough rocks. There are all those things that have been imposed on us through the years. The mother who yelled at you every single day growing up. The father who was never there for you. The boss who completely ruined your career. The former spouse who turned the kids against you. And sometimes, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. You think that's bad. It gets even worse because of the things we brought on ourselves. Like that drive, that ambition that took us right to the top of our game at the cost of our kids, our health, our integrity. The shop till you drop frenzy that plunged us into credit card debt. That eager desire to get in good with the old friends that took us back to square one with the old addictions. That spat of angry words that just flew out of our mouths and created this wedge between us and a brother or sister or child or colleague at work or friend. The neglected marriage that slipped into a chat room and then a hotel room and then into divorce court. Sometimes, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. We might as well admit it. We are all human, aren't we? We are all broken. We are all damaged. We are all messed up. We have all colored outside of the lines. We have all made bad choices. We have all made mistakes. We are all riddled with with regrets. We are all shot through with guilt. Every one of us needs redemption. Everyone needs hope. Everyone needs a Savior. That's why I'm so grateful for, for places in Scripture like Hebrews chapter 11, the focus for our teaching over the next several weeks. And there, in verse 31, we are introduced to a remarkable woman. The apostle to the Hebrews simply says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Of course, that takes us back to the story found in Joshua 2, where we are introduced to a woman who lived in an old house, and there were three rocks that hit particularly hard. The first was the fact that she was a woman. Nowadays, we recognize there are differences between men and women. Uh, we look different. Uh, 
we think different, we function differently. But today we recognize that does not make one better than the other. We are meant to live together and to complement each other, but that's not the way they thought in Rahab's time. As far as people were concerned in those days, women were second-class citizens, and their full-time job in life was just to keep the men happy. That kind of thing seared itself deep upon her her self-identity. The second rock in her life was the fact that she lived in a doomed city. Jericho was the Palm Springs of its day. The place was beautiful. The climate was practically perfect year-round. There's plenty of water in town. There were beautiful gardens tucked into every nook and cranny. It was a thriving business hub. It was a a city with a proud 1,000-year history. Its walls were so thick, so impenetrable that no enemy could ever touch them. And what's more, Jericho was the headquarters for the worship of Ashtaroth, the fertility goddess who was known for her oversized assets. It was a moral cesspool ready to go down the drain. Third big rock in Rahab's life was her profession. She was a prostitute. When I think of that, I think, what a desperate way to make a living. Why would anyone ever go into this kind of work? And the answers, of course, are very complicated and diverse. Some people do this kind of thing because they are forced to. They are victims of human trafficking. Some people do this because they are simply living out the baggage that was imposed upon them by an abusive father or uncle or summer camp counselor. Some people go into it because that's the only way they know how to to support an expensive drug addiction. And others do it because they're so desperately broke, that's the only way they know how to make some quick cash. Rahab led a sad life. With all the STDs, there were the significant health challenges. Every now and then, one of her clients would beat her up. But the saddest thing of it all was the way she had to sell everything of value in her life. Her her heart, her body, her emotions, her feelings, her honor, her integrity, her dignity, her self-respect, her hopes and dreams all sold out for some quick cash between the sheets. Her life had a gaping hole in it. Her life was filled with exhaustion of soul. And the good news is, God knew just where Rahab was. Just like he knows where you and I are. He knows our names. He knows our address. He knows what we're going through. He knows our frustrations and our broken dreams. He knows where we want to go. And he is there for us. The good news is, help is on the way. One night, Rahab heard her knocking at the door. She went down, and there were two gentlemen standing there. Now, this woman knew men. She knew the men in her town. She knew the businessmen who would pass through from time to time. And she sized them up very quickly and discovered that they were different than any other men who had come to her door. They were Hebrews, and they were godly. Which leads to the next big question we have to ask. Why would two godly guys want to spend the night at a brothel? Have you ever asked that question? Why? Well, really, it's pretty simple when you think about it. First of all, this lady's house was right on the wall next to the city gate. It was easy to get in and out. 
Second of all, brothels and the cafes attached to them were places where people would hang out and talk. I mean, like, talk a lot. This is a great place for spies to get the scoop. And what's more, and even more important, God had a woman in this house that was ready to join the family of God. So there's a good reason why those men were there. The thing is that the whole city of Jericho was on red alert. For 40 years, they had heard about Israel's God. They had heard how the God of Israel took them out of Egyptian slavery and set them free. They had heard how he opened and how he parted the Red Sea and and led them through. They had heard how God had taken them through the wilderness, provided for their every need, given them manna to eat each day, good clean water to drink, how God had taken out every king and kingdom that had gotten in their ways. For 40 years, God had been saying to the people of Jericho, I care about you. I'm coming after you because I have a place for you in my great big family. And every single time the people of Jericho thumbed their nose at God and said, God, you can just go take a flying leap. We don't want what you have to offer. And now that the people of Israel were camped a mere seven or eight miles away, the reality of it all began to sink in and they were scared to death. Well, as soon as the spies slipped into town, someone spotted them, reported it to the king, and in no time flat, there were two soldiers on Rahab's doorstep banging on the door. And this quick-thinking woman knew exactly what to do. Because you see, up on her flat-top roof, she had a side business going on. She processed flax. She weaved it into fine fabrics and ropes. And she just had heaps and heaps of of these flax cuttings on her, 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 her floor there. So she took one spy and slipped him under a stack of flax over here. She took the other one and slipped him under the stack of flax over here. And she said, now you stay here. You keep quiet. Don't move. Don't hardly breathe. I'll come back and get you. With that, she made her way down the stairs to the front door. She paused for a moment to smooth her hair, her apron, to get her breath. And when she opened the door, the soldiers bellowed, Bring them out! We know you're harboring a couple of Hebrew spies. Now bring them out! Well, well, she said with a sly grin. Let me tell you what I know. There are a couple of gentlemen who came by here at dusk for supper. They had their dinner. We had a great conversation. I have no idea who they are or where they came from. I don't know where they went to. They left after they ate. They slipped away in the dark. But I'll tell you what. If you hurry, I'm sure you'll find them. The woman flat out lied. And that brings us to a great ethical dilemma. Is it ever right to lie in order to save someone's life? Is it ever okay to deceive, to to shade the truth when that's the lesser of two evils? What do you think? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so because the same God who says, thou shalt not lie also says thou shalt not kill. The two go together. But I think what we have to do is cut this woman some slack. And the reason why was because she was not a mature 
believer. She was a seeker. She was just getting going in her journey with God. And so it made a great deal of sense to her to shade the truth in order to save these men's lives. Well, as soon as the FBI was out on their wild rabbit chase, she was back up the stairs on the roof. She pushed back the flax piles there, and she said, come on out. It's all good now. She says, I got to tell you something. My place here is News Central. I know all about you guys. I know how God took you out of Egyptian slavery. I know how God took you through the Red Sea. I know how God is taking you through the wilderness. I know how God has given you manna to eat day by day and good clean water to drink. I know that Jericho is your gateway to the promised land, but there's something else you need to know. I know about your God. Your God is the God of heaven. He is the God of earth. And bit by bit, he is becoming my God as well. Now, let's make a deal. I saved your life. Now, you saved mine and the lives of my family. You promised me that when this old town goes down, we will get out of here alive. And the men said, it's a deal. But there are three conditions to the deal. Number one, you must keep your mouth shut. You can't say a word to anyone about what's going on. Number two, you've got to gather your family together here in your place. And number three, you need to hang a scarlet cord from your window. Deal, she said. With that, she let down a rope out her window, and the men shimmied down that rope and made their way into the darkness. What an amazing story. Because the scarlet cord at the end of the exodus is a great deal like the scarlet blood on the doorpost at the beginning of the exodus. Because you see, we are all on a journey, aren't we? All on an exodus out of some kind of slavery. And the good news is, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been or what you have experienced, there is hope for you when the scarlet cord is hanging from the window of your heart because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and seals us for eternity. That's grace, my friends. And when you experience God's grace, your once-stuck life gets moving. That's what happened for Rahab. I mean, she didn't just sit there. She got moving. She went back home to her mom and dad. She went to see her brothers and sisters, her nieces and nephews, and she said to them, come with me. We can have a whole new life. We can have a whole new community of faith to live in. We can have a whole new God to serve. And with that, she moved the whole family into her place. And from the window of her house, they watched God go to work. They saw the people of Israel march around the city Every day for six days. On the seventh day, they saw the people march around. And this time, they heard the blast of the trumpet, the triumphant shout of the people. They felt the earth under them move as the whole city imploded upon itself while her house gripped solid ground. As soon as the dust settled, Joshua turned to the two spies and he said, Okay, go get them. Go get Rahab and her family. With that, they bounded up the stairs. There were hugs. There were tears. And this family walked into a whole new life. 
They were given a place to stay just outside the camp for like seven days. It was a place where they could be quiet, where they could rest, where they could process, where they could heal, where they could let go of the past, where they could learn the vital truths about God and prepare for their place in God's great big family. And finally, the day came when they moved in. They became an integrated part of God's wonderful family. And then one day, something very special happened. Rahab met a man, a man unlike anyone she had ever known before. Instead of treating her like an expendable piece of trash, she felt like a princess with him. His name was Salmon, and he was one of the princes of Israel. The two fell in love, got married, started a family, and they had a little boy named Boaz. Boaz grew up and got married, and like his father, he married a convert to the faith, a woman by the name of Ruth. And they had a little boy named Obed. And when Obed grew up, he got married, and he and his wife had a boy named Jesse. Jesse grew up, got married. He and his wife had a whole house full of boys. One of them was King David. And on and on and on the family line went until the most beautiful baby ever was born, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the life of Rahab, we find hope and redemption. In the story of Rahab, we can see a life that was sad and broken, a life that was sold out for some quick cash between the sheets, a life that Grace got a hold of and had turned around, and that old house of her life had a complete makeover. That is good news for us today because all of us have a little bit of Rahab inside of us, don't we? All of us have ugly memories that have been imposed upon us. All of us have been places and done things and had experiences, and we have deep regrets. And the story of Rahab stands to remind us that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. There is no pit so low that God's love does not go deeper still. There is no sin that, that is so horrible that God cannot forgive it. There is no stain upon your soul that Jesus cannot wash clean. If God can save Rahab, he can save you and me. Many years ago, there was a teenage girl living in Brazil. Her name was Christina. She lived in a sleepy little village where nothing exciting ever happened. And she just longed, she yearned for the excitement of the big city. So one night, while the whole family was asleep, Christina slipped out of bed and out the back door, and she caught the bus to the big city. Next morning, when Mother discovered Christina's bed was empty, she knew exactly what had happened. And she shuddered to think what her little girl would have to do to survive in the city. Mother quickly threw some clothes into her suitcase. She scraped together all the money she could find, and she headed for the bus station. And on the way, she stopped at the drugstore where they had a photo booth, and she took all the pictures her money could afford. 
She got on the bus. She went to Rio. And she went to all the places that you would expect to find prostitutes. The hotels, the bars, the nightclubs, the casinos. Looking, looking, looking for her daughter. And after a couple of days, the money ran out. The pictures ran out. For she had put them on every bathroom mirror, posted it to every bulletin board, wedged it into the corners of the telephone booths, leaving her picture with the message of love. Mother went home brokenhearted without her girl. But two weeks later, Christina came down the stairs of the hotel where she was staying. And her eye caught a picture on the bulletin board at the bottom of the stairs. Her eyes were burning with tears. Her throat choked up. Her fingers trembled as she reached out to take that picture from the bulletin board. And it was a picture of her mother. She turned it over, and on the back it said, whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. Right now, you are holding in your hands a picture of Jesus' love for you. And on that picture, it says, whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. Please come home. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portal, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for. Night is coming, 
lives in this old house it's broken down it hurts we long for a better day a better life and so we invite Jesus to come rescue us and make all things new we know if your grace could reach someone like Rahab your grace can reach us too so right now each one in their own heart, let us make the decision now to invite Jesus in. And like Rahab, put us into the great hall of faith that we find in Hebrews 11. In Jesus' name, amen.